scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 4. Please uh, feel free to remain seating as it's a a pretty long passage, Um, but, uh, but stand if you'd like. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. A man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Open up. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and astonishment at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's portico, utterly astonished. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Fellow Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or power we had done these things? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate because he said that he was innocent. But you rejected the holy and
you are the descendants of the prophets and of the covenant God gave your ancestors against Abraham. And your descendants, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning Egypt from his wicked ways. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jim and Jonathan. Let us pray together in response to the word of the Lord. Jesus, as you have proclaimed who you are, and as Peter proclaimed who you are, may we in our thoughts and actions and listening also be living into who you are. We pray in your name. Amen. It's good to see you all this morning. I'm Pastor Joy. We have a busy morning this morning. In the second service, we will have a baptism, and so we're excited for that. So I tried to condense the sermon as much as possible, so I didn't write an introduction. So we're just going to start. There is a lot going on in this text. A lot is going on in what happens and what Peter has to say in his message and in the arc of Peter's story, which we've been looking at this season. So today we're going to look at two specific things. First, we're going to look at how Jesus' name is used in this text. It's a big theme. We're going to look at that. And then we're going to look at Peter himself and what's happening with him. And then finally, we are going to hear our invitation of response to God's word today. So, Jesus' names first. Peter proclaims Jesus' name. So here's the setting. Peter and John are going to the temple. This is normal. They did this, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The temple is the big, beautiful place of sacrifice to the God of the universe. It's the center of Jerusalem. And there is a guy there begging. This is normal. We see this kind of situation today. People with disabilities or wounded from war or like this man from birth who need money so he can eat. It is ordinary, sad, but ordinary. But Peter looks at this man and says something very out of the ordinary. He says, hey, I don't have money. Fishing was bad this week. I don't have money, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And Peter helps him up. And not only is this man healed, he is rehabilitated. He jumps and walks and leaps and praises God. And everyone around is like, what just happened? I, I mean, I, I think they've seen this guy many years begging in the same place. He kind of has his corner staked out. 
And maybe that even put a few copper coins in his hat from time to time. But here he is, not just hobbling, which would be a miracle, not just walking, which would also be a miracle, but he is walking and leaping and praising God, full healing. Now, we could stop here and have a whole sermon about this incident, but we're going to go on and look at the entire scope of Acts 3 because this is one whole story because Peter doesn't stop there. Everyone's looking around trying to figure out what happened, and Peter steps up and says, hey, folks, it's not about us. We didn't do this on our own authority or because we're so good. The God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he has glorified his servant Jesus. He is alive and active even right now. And Peter's sermon continues. And his sermon, if you look at it, it is woven with names of God. Peter says the name Jesus three times. The phrase, his name, which is a way of referring to God twice. God, seven times. Messiah, twice. Lord, twice. And Peter emphasizes that it is through Jesus of Nazareth, through trust in his name, that this man has been given good health. He also emphasizes that this Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, through whom God is going to restore and bless all people in keeping of his covenant promises. But first it's going to start with them. And they have an opportunity to turn from their sin. That's what repent means. It's turning. To be refreshed. I love that part in this passage. And to experience blessing. It is a true promise. And the foundation of all of this is Jesus' name. It is not about Peter. He doesn't even introduce himself. So Nicky Gumbel is a British pastor who started the Alpha Evangelism Program in the 80s. Maybe some of you have heard of him before or seen his smiling face. Uh, his testimony is all over the Internet. I'm not going to share that today. But briefly, Nicky grew up in a secular Jewish household in England but as he read the Bible very skeptically in college, he came to recognize that Jesus is who he says he is. And then later, Nikki experienced a call to pastoral ministry, and he left his vocation of being a lawyer, which everyone in his family had always been. And he studied theology, and then he became the vicar, the lead pastor at Holy Trinity Brompton Church in London. He is a well-known and, I would say, famous Christian. So last year, my family visited HTB. That stands for Holy Trinity Brompton. And I had heard or thought that, that Nikki had retired, but when he stepped up to the chancel to make announcements, I was like, I am in the same room with Nikki Gumbel. And, and so I lifted up my phone to take a picture, and my husband was sitting here, and, and he took my hand and gently, slowly put my phone down because apparently there had been a sign that said, please, no pictures. And I was kind of embarrassed. Uh, I was a little ashamed. And if you know me, you know I really care zero about Christian celebrity except maybe Nikki Gumbel and N.T. Wright. But I had gotten this picture before this incident happened. There we go. HTB. Uh, I shouldn't have taken that picture. But the reason that we weren't really supposed to take pictures was because it's not about Nicky Gumbel. God called him, but it's not about him. It's about Jesus. 
And when Nikki proclaims the name of Jesus, who he knows and loves, stuff happens. Just like when Peter proclaims the name of Jesus, stuff happens. So Peter preaches, but his sermon is interrupted because he and John are arrested. That's a bad reason to have a sermon end. Um, And he's put in jail. But this half sermon and this healed man are super effective, and 5,000 believe in Jesus, and this is all because Peter proclaims the name of Christ. So I've been thinking a lot this week about what it means to proclaim the name of Jesus and what it means for us to approach God's name. And it can actually be pretty challenging theologically, I think. There's a lot of different ideas about this. So I want to address two historic and contemporary tendencies for religious people, Christians, in approaching the name of Christ. So in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew traditions that surround it, the approach to God's name is highly influenced by the second commandment, which says, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. And so in order to avoid accidentally doing this, people frequently wouldn't even say God's name to avoid using it wrong. My mother tells a story. She grew up in a very devout Southern Baptist family. She always called her mother, mother, and her father, daddy. But then one time she thought, you know, I should call them with the parallel name. So I'll call my father, father. And so she addressed my papa as father, and he rebuked her. He said, don't call me that. There is only one father. Now, that might sound kind of strange to us and a little bit nitpicky, but really, my papa's inclination was to revere God's name and not take it for himself. Devout Jewish people today will say Hashem, which in Hebrew means the name instead of God. And when reading biblical scriptures, Hebrew scriptures in biblical Hebrew class, even in Protestant seminaries like mine, When you come to the name of God, which is here, the Hebrew name for God, that God calls himself, the name looks like this, Yahweh. You don't say Yahweh, you say Adonai, which means Lord, so that you don't accidentally break the second commandment. Lord actually isn't a name, it's a title. And this makes sense. This is a way of reverencing God. God is wholly other than us. God is outside creation. God made all this stuff. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-just, all-good, and God's name is holy because God is holy. God's holiness requires our reverence. That's on the right side, or your, your left side. Now, the other extreme is to use God's name, but as a kind of a magic word to tap into God's power. We see this happening Can you go back? I think my slide numbers are wrong. Can you go back? There we go. Next one. Thank you. Okay, we see this historically as well. There was a tradition in Jewish culture also that if you got the the prayer exactly right and you said it over and over again in the right way, that God would hear you and heal your or a loved one's illness. And there's a lot of archaeological evidence for this. There's an amulet. People used to make sort of pieces of jewelry that would have prayers on them. There's an amulet in the Museum of Antiquities in the Golan Heights. And in the amulet, from reading it, you, you can conjecture the situation. 
Mother Marian has asked for a special blessing for her sick daughter, Yaitha, and the amulet has a prayer on it that I would say is trying to use God's name for power. I'm going to read part of the prayer. A good amulet to heal Yaitha, the daughter of Marian, from the fever and the shiver and the evil eye, which is believed to cause sickness. Abrasats, ya, ya, yahoo, I, 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 I. These are nonsense syllables. Ka, 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 sa, 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 sa. In the name of I am who I am, the name of God. Amen, amen, salah, in the name of, and it continues. And the belief was if you said the prayer enough in the right way, that God would heal you because you were able to tap into the power of his name. Now, both of these extremes are really not a recommended approach to God's name. These are not up here as instruction for you to do. This is instruction for us to see some historic wrong tendencies about the use of God's name. But in our story, Peter simply proclaims Jesus' name. He doesn't go on and on. Peter is not relying on his own power to get the prayer right. He's not using Jesus' name as a magic word. Just because you say in the name of Jesus does not mean it will be effective. There's a story later on in Acts chapter 19 where these itinerant Jewish exorcists find using the name of Jesus ineffective in their work because they don't know Jesus. They don't represent him because this is not the way it works. It is actually not about the name. It is not about the word. It is about the person of Christ. We can remember the name Jesus is really the same as Joshua. It is not a particularly special name. Peter has been sent by the one whose name he proclaims. Peter's use of Jesus' name is really like an ambassador proclaiming the name of the government or country she represents. An ambassador has to know the country and be sent by it. I cannot just put a French flag out in front of my house and proclaim my house an embassy. I haven't been sent, right? It's using the name wrong. Peter has been called and sent by Jesus to represent him. It's Peter's personal knowledge of Jesus that equips him to heal as a representative of Christ. He has seen the risen Jesus. He's experienced his power. He has walked on water. He has picked up 12 baskets of crumbs after Jesus fed this ginormous crowd. And and this man begging at the temple, he's heard the story of Jesus too already. Jerusalem wasn't that big. It's not just a name to him like Bob. Jesus of Nazareth has a reputation at this point. And when Peter proclaims Christ, the man knows who he's talking about. Peter doesn't use any of that verbal nonsense on the amulet. He just speaks Jesus' name. And this is a tension. I think it helps us to see the the true dichotomy here. It seems kind of like an opposite. But there is a tension we need to recognize. On the one side, we see the deep reverence, transcendence, greatness of God. This is why some people avoid saying the name. Like that feeling you get on the edge of the Grand Canyon, right? This is good. But on the other side, we see the eminence. We see the closeness. We remember that in Jesus, God puts himself at our level so that we can understand his character. God revealed himself to us in Christ 
so that we may speak his name without fear. There is a friendship with God. Do you see the dichotomy here? But neither of these by themselves represent the full truth about God in Christ or how we are to use his name. They need each other. Paul reminds us that the name of Jesus is to punctuate, to overshadow everything we do. Jesus' name is powerful, but the power doesn't come from our use of the name. It is Jesus himself. And Peter's use of the name came from knowledge of Christ. It's like Peter had already allowed Jesus to put his name on every single aspect of his own life. It's not just using the name for power or avoiding it because it's holy. It's about knowing the one who is being named and the one who names us. So that's the part about the name. Now the part about Peter. Peter proclaiming Jesus' name in in the scope of Peter's story is a, a true literary gem in this arc. Remember what we've learned about Peter's story and and his names this spring. So first, Peter was named by Jesus. His name is Peter, which means the rock. But second, during the events surrounding Jesus' crucifixion, Peter denied Jesus by refusing to even state his name. He said, I don't know the man. So since then, Peter has been called a second time by Christ, And as Pastor Lars taught last week, he was led by the Spirit to do things he had never done before. But here we see in this story God turning Peter's narrative arc on its head. Where Peter had sinned, refusing to associate himself with or even name Jesus, here he is healing and preaching in Jesus' name. This is a 180 reversal. God redeems Peter's greatest shame into a proclamation that glorifies himself. It's sort of like if someone is convicted for drunk driving and then they become a driver's ed instructor, right? It's a complete change. Just think about this change for a moment. The Bible usually doesn't talk a lot about how characters feel in the text. That's sort of a post-romantic obsession that we have. But we can conjecture that Peter felt guilt about what he had done, and it was rightly placed guilt. He had sinned against Christ. I also wonder if perhaps Peter had started to feel shame about himself. We can remember how guilt is the bad feeling you get for, some, for something that you have actually done wrong, like cheating on your taxes or on a test or lying on your resume or retaliating with violence. But shame is feeling bad about who you are. And good guilt, even when worked through, can leave a residue of shame. Peter could have leaned into his shame. He could have thought of himself as a Christ denier. He could have told that story about himself over and over and and then maybe even taken a back seat in the story of Acts. But in the work of God's redemption, Jesus has not only forgiven him, but he has taken that moment of denial and flipped it so that God is glorified. Peter is empowered to proclaim Jesus' name through healing and preaching to people gathered at the temple, which simply prepares the way for Peter to preach to the leadership in Jerusalem. This is the story that we'll be hearing from next week. I mean, look at what God has done to Peter's narrative. It is amazing. 
And I think that today, as we prepare our hearts for communion, we have opportunity to open ourselves up to Jesus, open ourselves up to God, who is so holy, who is so transcendent, who is more than we could ever imagine, bigger than the universe, and also our God, who is close and near, who interacts with each of us individually. And what this God does for Peter is to take his greatest shame, his refusal to even name Jesus, and flip it so that Peter proclaims who Jesus is, and there are results. And this is what happens when the name of Jesus isn't simply proclaimed in those most dramatic moments, the momentary turbulent times of our lives, but when the name and person and character and friendship with Christ is woven through the fabric of our lives. Here's one way to think about it. Think about your life, your day, every aspect of an average day for you. You get up. You go to work or school. You sit at your desk. How many of you sit at a desk? <laughs> right? You sit at a desk. You eat and talk and drink and listen and chat with others. The media you use, your hopes and dreams, your current worries or anxieties. I mean, what would it look like for Jesus' name to be written on every single aspect of our lives? Now, maybe there are some aspects of our lives where we think, mm, that wouldn't work. <laughs> maybe those are the embarrassing parts of our lives, or maybe our hidden shame. The parts of our lives where we put a do not enter sign over and, and lock the door. What if Jesus went in there and, and turned on the light and wrote his name on it? I was thinking about this part of my sermon yesterday as I was uh, hiking. And it's always wise for pastors to be reflective about what we say to the congregation. So I was like, Jesus, what part of my life do you want, do I need to recognize your name on? What part of my life? How would I answer this question? I was praying about it and walking. And there, there's a sense that there's even more to it than this. Because the truth is, is that it all already has Jesus' name on it. We just have to recognize it. Sort of like this. If you're a parent or a homeowner with children, you call the room where the child sleeps their room. Right? It's not their room. It's your room. <laughs> right? You call it their room. And, and in good parenting, usually, though, you treat it like it's their room. You knock on the door. You don't go in and go through stuff. You let it be. That's how God is. That's how God is with us. It's already, it's all already his. But we have to recognize that it is his. And let us see the name already written on it. So remember that Jesus' name is written on every aspect of our lives. His name is to be proclaimed not as a magic word, but as ownership ownership over the messy parts of our lives, the shame parts, the guilt parts, the parts that are fun but not good, and the parts that are good but not fun. Recognize Jesus' name on each aspect of your life, and not just the parts people see, but those worries that wake you at 4 a.m., 
Maybe it's worry about performance at work or school or, or concern for students about where you're going to go to college. Is it anxiety about the salvation of your children? Concern about the weight of caring for others or a sense you have to do it all? Invite Jesus to write his name, to proclaim his ownership, which is already his, <laughs> over that aspect of your life. And then watch to see how Jesus will transform your story into his glory as he transformed Peter's refusal to even name him into a proclamation that healed and convicted a spark that lit the fire of the early church. And so today, as we participate in communion together, when we take the body and blood of Christ, let Jesus reclaim and transform all of us all parts of our lives, if he can do it. He's the God of life. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, for those aspects of our life, those rooms that we've closed and locked the door and pretended that they are ours and not yours, by your spirit, would you help us to recognize your ownership of it? May all aspects of our lives, the smallest to the largest, have your name written on it. We thank you for your character. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your glory. We also thank you for the nearness that you are to us through the Holy Spirit. God, you are so great. You are so awesome. You are so amazing. But also, you are so close. Today, as we celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion, may we recognize both your glory and your closeness in each of us. And as the bread and the wine become part of our bodies, may we also recognize your movement in our lives becoming deeper and deeper apart of who you have called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.